You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, once again to another episode of the Fair Game Podcast. I'm Robert Smith, your host. It's great to be with you all today. Last month, I told you I was going to start having someone from outside our fair industry to be a guest each month. They would be someone who could motivate and inspire with their story. Last month in February, we welcomed Jim Morris, the major league pitcher behind Disney's The Rookie. And today we welcome another VIP that has an absolutely incredible story to share with you. Today's guest is an author and motivational speaker who's a member of the Speakers Roundtable, a group of the 20 most elite public speakers in the world. On April 3rd, 2001, his life changed in an instant when a hay bale weighing one ton fell on him, breaking his neck and leaving him a quadriplegic. However, if you ask him, he will tell you that while he lives life confined to a wheelchair, his dreams are most definitely not paralyzed. This man is an absolute inspiration. I'm happy to introduce you to him, folks. This is Mr. Chad Hymas. Chad, I'm so glad you could be on the show today. Thanks, Robert. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Now, Chad, I remember meeting with you when you spoke for the International Association of Fairs and Expositions back in late November 2009. That was my entry that year into the fair industry. And you, I just remember your story was so powerful to me, and I know it had a lot of people talking during that convention. Can you give us an idea of exactly what happened on that day in April of 2001? Yeah, um, it was uh, just like any other day, really. I am... Um... I was a contractor by trade, had my own uh, construction company, and uh, my my dream was and has always been to be a rancher, be a farmer, and have a piece of ground to raise animals, but I didn't have the money to buy the ground at that time, and so uh, I had that construction company to be the fuel behind that, and uh, I would commute every day uh, for about an hour into the Salt Lake Valley, but we lived out in the country because I was building that dream, so I'd commute about an hour to and fro, um, and uh, was a contractor by day and a farmer by night. And while I was at work that day, I got a call from my wife. Uh, it was a, an exciting phone call. Um, our children were three and one at the time, both little boys and the littler boy, the one-year-old had just taken his first two steps. And so she wanted to see if I could get the crews lined up at work somehow and get back a little earlier that day to play some hoops with both boys out in the garage. She knows that's a big deal to me. Um, it was a big deal uh, as I was growing up. My dad never missed the never missed an opportunity to play ball with me and my brothers out in the garage. We would have a, a regular size rim bolted to the two by fours in the garage. It was unfinished, and I had the exact same setup, and um, three feet off the cement floor. And so this little kid walking now, we can get him going on a layup, and he should be dunking by tomorrow. That was my thoughts. And so, <laughs> a long story short, I, I raced home after getting all the, all the guys lined up, and. Uh, uh, got home early, late afternoon, early evening, and uh, decided to stop by the field first so I wouldn't have to go back out and uh, feed the animals that we were growing. We were growing a pretty good sized elk herd on the ranch. Our dream has always been to raise elk, so a little bit different than cattle or horses, although we do have both uh, today and or have all three today. But um, the dream has always been really to, to stick with elk. And uh, I uh, was out in the field with the elk, and I had a big bale of hay on the on the uh, forks of the tractor that was 15 feet high to put in the feeder. And I saw a problem on my tractor. I, I, the red light was flashing, which was an indicator that my hydraulics were low. And I just simply ignored that red light uh, because I was in a hurry and also because I'd gotten away with it before. And so it became maybe a, a belief concept, if you will, or 
habit or I don't know, I think complacency is an overly used term, but you can call it what you want. For whatever reason, because I'd gotten away with it, never gotten caught, I decided I could do it again and I got caught. And uh, that bale of hay rolled over backwards, landed right on my body and punched my head through the steering wheel. The shaft is what went through my, my face, breaking out everything in its path uh, in my mouth. And uh, the doctors were able to repair everything that uh, the people can see. What they were not able to repair is what people can't see, and that is the spinal cord. Um, I severed 95% of that, and, oh. and there's no glue or no duct tape for that. There's no stitches. Um, and so it's been that way now for almost 21 years. Um, and it's been a phenomenal 21 years. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's been lots of ups and downs and plenty of downs for sure. Lots of pandemics to that 20 years, lots of, lots of times of crisis in that 21 years. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's what, what, what has put me in the wheelchair today and, and, uh, kind of where, where I'm at. At that time you were a young, healthy, I think I read 27 year old man at that point. Not bald either, like you. And yeah. Me, I'm just saying, back then I had a full head of hair. And, even even and now, was, you still got more hair than I do. I do, yeah. You're, you're, I, I could look like you. I could shave and just be just like you, for sure. But it's not. I'm not that much further along. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. I think it's so fair to say. Yeah. You, you, were, uh, you were young and healthy, and then this happens, and you're told you're never going to walk again. Which uh, doesn't mean unhealthy, but it does... It, it's 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 a pretty big pandemic right it's a pretty big crisis that's, that's yeah i i i mean that's a that's something that is someone i mean even though i have a chronic condition with psoriatic arthritis and sometimes it's it's painful to walk it's there's always a point where that arthritis kind of lets up and i'm fine and i'm moving again you can't i don't think anybody can ever understand what that moment is like when you're told you're not going to walk again until you're actually in it what are some of the emotions you feel when you hear the doctors tell you this? So if I could, Robert, maybe we could, could we clarify a couple, just a couple things about that? Because I love your question. I think it's spot on. Sure. But two, two things. The doctors didn't tell me. Okay. My dad wouldn't allow that. Oh, wow. Because okay. my dad didn't want me to be placed in a stigma of what my life would look like. I think that's okay. an important piece to bring up. Okay. So while doctors do give prognosis okay. to most patients, my dad refused to let the white coats give me mine. Not because we have a thing against white coats, not at all. Right. He just didn't want me based on science and statistics for me to become a statistic. And I think that's important for our listeners to hear is that I would hope that I'm listening to this podcast that we're not sharing this podcast with them, nor did you create it them to become like everybody else but because of their different circumstances and set of challenges we would like them to take those challenges and not be a stat not not respond like everybody else but to have the tools and the confidence and the conscience and the perseverance to get through this so that would be number one there was no doctors that told me my circumstance and number okay. two i didn't lose my legs I lost my hands and my legs and everything beneath the arm. That's, that's more than legs. A lot of people do a lot of things with no legs. I mean, you see amputees come back from wars. We, yep. they, but they got full dexterity, full function of their hands. I'm 95% numb. So the movement that I have is strictly shoulders okay, and, and, and a little bit of bicep, but I have 
two out of my three chest muscles are gone. So the only chest muscle I have is the one that allows me to breathe without a tube in my neck. That took about six months to get that back or to develop that, to get the diaphragm. But that's the only thing I've got in the chest. Everything beneath that's gone. Stomach's gone, midsection is gone, legs are gone, like you mentioned, feet are gone. And then all 10 fingers and hands, they're, they're, while I still use them to my advantage and, I'm, you know, and I am independent, I do travel the world alone. Nobody travels with me. It's important to understand that a lot of people travel alone that don't have any legs. But to travel alone with no arms or hands, again, not, I'm not saying that in an arrogant, please don't hear that. I just want our listeners to understand that it's important to not let other people dictate your results, your outcomes. Um, and thank God for my father who was there to help me understand that I would be the one to dictate that based on my attitude and my, uh, my desire to still be a farmer and a rancher and would I be willing to do that? And that's a heavy question that he couldn't answer. And I don't even know that I was capable of answering it at the time, but yeah, yeah it's a, it's a, that's, that's not a single whammy. That's not a double whammy. That's a, that's a, that's an almost three strikes. Although it was, I, I think it was a foul tip. I got another chance yeah. because that, that was a close to the end. Definitely suicidal. Not a bad word to say on this podcast. It's something that we'd be naive to not say. Yep. Definitely suicidal at that time for, for sure. So. So there were places um, as you started to work through your recovery and get back towards whatever your life was going to be. I think I saw a video where you talked about it's not a new normal, but it's just what's next. It's the, it's yeah. the next step. Did you get, when you mentioned suicidal, to a really dark place that you wanted to give up? Oh, for sure. In fact, that's why they, they didn't allow, uh, you know, it's, when, I, when my dad gave me my prognosis, he also gave me some calls to action. He asked me to do a couple of things. He asked me to really be careful of my attitude. He wanted me to still consider being a farmer. He asked me to, to be an inspiration to him and my mother and my, my wife. And he asked me to, to really look at this, but look at it from a different perspective. Of course, he was looking at it from the outside and I, I didn't think he had credibility to share this. He asked me to be a better father to the two little boys whom I never got to play ball with that night. So I never did see them that night because I went to the farm first. So right. that encounter of playing ball and watching him walk, the day that Kyler took his first steps is the same day that I took my last and we would never meet up to see that. It would be months before I would see him walk again. So or see him walk for the first time. So that's a very, very unique and very sacred day for our family. Um, my dad wanted me to be a better contributor to my society. And I called his bluff. I mean, I thought he had a bad hand. I mean, I called it and I said some things that you would probably delete from your podcast if I were to say them. <laughs> so I won't say them now. And I shouldn't have said them then. And I haven't said them since, but my dad heard that vocabulary out of my trach and he knew exactly what I was thinking. And he just turned around and walked out. And um, they knew at that point that my, I was not being, I was not receptive enough to, to receive the information that he wanted to share, nor the principles that would help allow. And the reason why I share that is because um, they kept my kids from me because my attitude could really damage, not just kids, but, but everybody else that was in the waiting room that wanted to see me including my wife. My dad would not let her in that room. Wow. They want me to push her away and start getting, you know, getting, you know, and, and start calling her and just, 
I was that bad. And my dad came back in a few minutes later, not, not, not an hour, not 30 minutes, just a few. And he just said, are you ready to visit? Um, are you still going to just be thinking about yourself? And I said, dad, I'm sorry for saying all those bad words, but you know, I just don't think you understand. I, I don't think you get it. He said, I'm not here to get it. I'm just not here to talk about you. There's a bunch of people out there that want to see you and that love you. And we can't even let them in mm. because of your countenance. Can't even let them in the room. And that was an eye opener for me. That maybe I could farm without having to use cattle or elk. Maybe I could farm people and farm my family. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a new eye opener. And so I, I would like to metaphorically use that today that, you know, I'm grateful for all the listeners of the podcast today. It's great to have you aboard and to be, be, uh, be here with us. We're glad that you're here and that you're loyal and that you hopefully grab and glean from this podcast and, and, and learn from myself and others. But I think it's important to realize that we'll do things for others. We won't do for ourselves. And maybe this podcast today isn't for your ears. Maybe somebody else will benefit because of your actions that you hear from this podcast. And you'll take this podcast more seriously because I did. When my dad brought up the kids, I took the information more seriously. Why? Because we'll do things for others that we won't do for ourselves. Yeah, it's a great point. It, it's just incredibly powerful that in the, that moment, I mean, I can only imagine as a parent uh, for your father, you know, seeing his son injured to this magnitude um, and then have the wherewithal to kind of manage that situation to make sure that, um, you know, feelings weren't hurt, things weren't said that didn't need to be said and kind of keep you um, a little bit grounded in, in yeah. what matters. That was, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think it was his way of dealing with it. I mean, I don't know if you have children or not, Robert, but... Um, you have one son. Do. Yeah, how would you like to see that son uh, incapacitated on a hospital bed? Devastated. You and I know you would do anything to switch in places, wouldn't you? You would, you would, yes. you'd beg, even if you're not a believer, you'd all of a sudden be, become one of, of real, quick. real quick, yeah, real yeah, quick. You, and you'd just say, Hey, if there is a God up there, I just want to switch in places. Just, just, just please just give me this one gift, this one, per please. I've lived my life. I'm bald. I'm done. Give my kid a chance. <laughs> yep. And that's how my, and I think that was my dad's way of dealing with it because he knew that that would not be possible. I mean, sure, it's possible, but unlikely that yeah. because of my choice that I made on the tractor, I would have to, you know, I would, we, we always have to, we always have to deal with the consequence of our own choices. And I made mine and I have to deal with that. My dad can't take that away. Right. And so he was trying to give me the next best thing. So. Well, that's pretty extraordinary. I read one of your posts on Instagram that in the aftermath of the accident you were dealing, and I think this is probably pretty natural, you're dealing with anger, you're dealing with regret, and you were stuck blaming others. Can you tell us who you were blaming? Anybody and everybody but the one who caused the accident. I blamed the doctors for not fixing my neck. I blamed the bed that I was laying on. Well, not the bed. I totally blamed God, not his fault. Easy to point the finger when things don't go right. Things don't go right in our life. Uh, during this time in our world, we're all being forced to stay at home orders, isolation, no school, easy to blame, easy to blame other countries for starting a disease, easy to blame other politicians, no matter what side of the fence you're on. I'm not here to talk about politics. I'm just saying when things don't go the way we want, we see a lot of this on the, on the, on the internet. Yeah. For those of you that can't see what I'm doing with a lot of headbutting, 
yep. a lot of back and forth, a lot of a lot of negative com, you know, a lot of negative tweets and a lot of negative tweets back and a lot of blame and if a certain congressman or senate person doesn't vote this way, then you get all this negatives. I just have, you know, I've tried that before, Robert. I've tried that negative, that negative comment back and that blaming game. And I just, I think it's important to note, I've never gone anywhere with it. I've never most, felt most better about don't. myself. I've never been more productive. And most people look at me like I'm immature and I'm an imbecile. But when I try and combat those negative feelings, or when somebody critiques me, even today I get critiqued all the time. And that, that's not a problem. It's not, I'm not against that. But if I were to try and fight that back, or how about this? Let's let's not take critics. Let's that, that's a bad example. Let's just let's just take me falling out of my chair. I fall out all the time. If I were to take that experience and blame Shondell for pushing me and we hit a bump and I dumped out, which has happened, I've never gotten anywhere by turning around and saying to her, Did you not see that? Did you not see the bump? I mean, I've never it ruins the rest of the night. Right. But when I look at it and say, you know what, that's didn't see that one either. And, you know, I'm trying a little sore a little bit on the head, but it might've fixed something, you know, Shondell, and try and come at it with something positive or maybe laugh a little bit. She doesn't feel bad as bad. And I'm not angry. And the night is, is better. Yeah. Right? Otherwise it's a completely silent night. So. Looking back at what you wanted your life to be before you were injured to what your life has become. Can you talk a little bit about that process you went through where you kind of reconciled that that life that you hoped for before that date in April, um, that life wasn't going to happen. And then you started living the life you have now. So, yeah, let's let's let you and I have a discussion about that. Do you remember what I said I wanted my life to look like? Uh, you wanted to be a rancher and a farmer and you wanted to uh, raise animals and from what I'm seeing on the internet, you still figured out a way to do that. Well, and none of that would have been possible without the broken neck. It's, I'm just saying, my broken neck has taken my wheelchair to 89 countries, which is a much bigger piece of ground than the ranch I live on. Yep. So I think that we need to, I think sometimes when we're hit with adversity, we look at what it limits us and how we're not going to be able to accomplish things. And yet, these tires have touched more dirt than most people's feet. I, I'm not saying that to brag. Don't hear that. I'm, right. not, I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. I just never would have believed it myself. Right. And so I think that sometimes our adversity and our challenges change does bring with it opportunities for growth, more adventure, and perhaps a bigger picture than what we even envisioned in the first place. And like you said, based on what you're seeing on the internet, a lodge that I never dreamed of has been built on our place. All the animals are still there. People help us run. I just, I don't get out there and bail the hay like I used to, nor do I get out there, but, but I do get out there with the boys and I rake it. I mean, I might not be the one nailing the two by four up to fix the fence right? or putting in braces. And while I do miss those little things, there's a lot of other big things that I can do. And so when I focus on the can do instead of the can't more comes to me in the process. And so if we look at the life that I dreamt, is it the way that I dreamt it? No, but what has transpired is much bigger and better than what I ever dreamed of. And there's those little tiny, for sure. There's a little tiny 
nuances that, and, and I'll like, how about holding my wife's hand? Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't feel it. So, so I'm not, I mean, I have those thoughts even today. People ask me all the time, when did you finally get there, Chad? When you like, kind of like the question, you know, you just presented and it's not a bad question. It's a great question. But when did you finally, you know, realize that, Hey, you could do more with less and Hey, you could, when did you, when did you and your Chandel finally, and I think that that's, that's an absurd way to look at it because we're still fighting the fight and we're still, it's a journey. There's no, so there's it, not one moment. It's, there's not it's, one. There's been pivots. Right. And there's, yeah, there's been transitions, but there's not one defining moment where, Hey, boom, all of a sudden everything's better. And Chad and Chandel are this great couple with now four children instead of two, we've adopted a couple, right? So more, more, more has happened in the process, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be in my office and I'll look out there and I'll see the boys out there in the fields working. And I'll think to myself, man, I sure wish I was out there, you know, working in the fields with the boys. I sure wish my wife didn't have to go out there and feed the horses or pull a baby calf at midnight. That should be me. I mean, any man would have that thought. And then I can't let myself go down that path too long because then it starts creating. I mean, it's just a darkness that gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And it just eats at me. And then when she comes back in the house, it's nothing but silent. She knows that. It's, I go silent. I just, I just, show, I just, I just, and that's not healthy. It's yeah. not healthy. It's not healthy for Shondell and I anyway. Yeah. And so I've just got to really try and focus on what I can do and do the best at what I can do and be the best version of me I can be. I noticed that everybody in my office, my staff is happier. My wife is happier. Our four children are happier. And that's the definition of success right there. Those that are around you the most, if they love and care about you, that's success. If they don't, you got a problem. Those that know you the best, if you don't have them on your side, Robert, who do you got? You're isolated and alone. Uh, right. Yep. And we see a lot of that right now in our world. A lot of that. Yep. At some point along that way, you started public speaking. How did that come about? Um, never wanted to be a public speaker. I don't know too many people that like speaking in front of people. I, I uh, happened church i know that sounds a little cliche but i they they wanted me to go to the church house after i got home from the hospital not because they think i needed god although i'm sure that might have been part of it they they wanted me to go thank all the members of the congregation that had been bringing us food and taking care of the animals for the last several months so they wanted me to go to the church house go sit in my wheelchair up on the, you know, up on the big stage there and thank all those people who had spent countless hours of service on our farm. Yeah. All that time while Chanel's at the hospital, babysitting two little boys. I mean, they wanted me and I refused because really I just didn't want, the last place I wanted to go was God's house. When you're in that slump, you just kind of want to get angrier and angrier. And so that's the last place I wanted to go was, was a house that they call God's house. And the second part of that piece is I didn't want other people looking at me like some pity party in a wheelchair. I did not want that. Right. I just wanted to stay home and watch NFL on Sunday. That is it. And leave me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And you guys go to church and have a good day. And the pastor came to my house after church one Sunday. And he talked to me for a minute. And he just said, you know, I don't need to hear a testimony. I don't need you to quote verse. I'm not asking about it. I'm just, there are people that want to see you. 
and you're refusing to let them come see you at your house. When they do come to your house, you stay in the back bedroom and you could do a lot of good for people that are hurting right now. And when he, again, I'd already had this talk from my dad. Yep. Yeah. As you're saying it, I'm hearing the similarities. Right. It was just, it's just, and, and, and those of you that are believers, you see it over and over again, the scriptures, they, they get taught, they get taught by angels. They get the visitations from angels. They get taught by God. And then even God himself appears. And then, and then what happens? They remember for a few days and they, they go back to what they were doing. They go, right. And so I'm not judging those people because I'm one of them. And so I, 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 I can relate more to some of those dudes we call bad dudes than I can the good dudes. I, I can relate to those guys. And so I, I, I'm one of those guys. And so I, uh, I reluctantly went to church and I went up to the pulpit and someone held the mic for me. Cause back then I hadn't figured out how to hold the mic, your phone or anything yet. And I, I just told him the truth, Robert. I, I told him the truth. I said, you know, I, I don't really feel worthy to be up here. I, I don't really want to be here, but here's some things that I'm trying to work on. And here's what Shondell and I are trying to work on. And I am grateful for your help. I, nobody likes to be, you know, served upon. It's always better to give the service. I, I like to be on your end, but, but I am grateful. So I, I, I appreciate that. And I just gave him, I gave him 10 or 15 minutes. And after I was done, somebody in the audience came up. His name was Lee Johnson. He came, Lee came up to me and he said, we're having our company meeting next week at the hotel downtown. I, I need you, you to come, come speak. give it. That's exactly what he said. Wow. Exactly. And he said, you can take God out of it. You can take your spirituality. He said, I need you to talk on leadership. I said, leadership. I don't know what that is. And he said, well, you're a father. That's a leader. And I'm going to have you come to my office. and I'm going to give you four points. And you decide the stories you want to share. I need my guys to hear it. And it was a group of contractors. And that's the first time that I felt really, I felt like I could help. Because those guys, whether or not they were in the palm of my hand, they made me feel like it. Right. I mean, they were glued the pictures I was showing them on the screen. They, they liked the farm. They loved the elk that I was showing them. And I just, I really worked hard to put together some sort of an uncanned, you know, just speak from my heart, show some photographs, share some stories from the photographs and relate each one to a principle of life. That's what I tried to do. And after that, they took me to all 43 of their sites around the country. And that's where it started. And that has turned into 89 countries. And even yeah. today, I'm speaking in Montpelier, Idaho, during COVID, to a bunch of high school girls that are getting ready to go play for a state basketball championship. They play tomorrow for the championship. So that's where I'm going. Mm -hmm. And I'll be in Nevada this week, all week, same company. But Nevada is a closed state because of COVID, a pandemic yeah. that we're going through. For those of you that are going to watch this and listen to this in 10, 15, 20 years from now, this podcast, because <laughs> it'll be on the internet. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a pandemic and the whole world is shut down. Never seen anything like this before in our lives. And, and so I'm going to a place that's <laughs> shut down and they're bringing in 10 employees at a time because that's what they're allowed to do. And we will all be wearing masks, except for me. And I'll be 20 feet away from the closest person. And my job is to help them understand the possibilities that they can do at work and at home during a pandemic. And we've been busy during the pandemic, yeah. whether it's virtual like this or in person. Last week, I told, as I, you and I were talking prior, I was in Texas, yeah. as you and I were yeah. visiting before we came live on this podcast, I was in Texas. So I'm still flying. I'm yeah. still traveling. And um, I never would have thought that. So a pandemic where the government shuts things down is not stopping me. We're not breaking mm -hmm. rules. Right. Just trying to find avenues to change and adapt. Right. 
Do I have to wear a mask? Yes. Do I have to wear gloves? Yes. Do I need to wipe things down with sanitizer more? Yes. Because I don't want to get right. sick, but I'm not going to stop living my life. No, I, that's a, it's a great attitude. And it's a great illustration of, uh, you know, even when the pandemic comes, it wasn't, well, is this the new normal? It's, it's what's next. How do we manage through this? I want to get to that, those 89 countries in that client list of yours, because I was looking on your website. That's a pretty impressive client list that you've built up over the years. Everybody from American Express to Deutsche Bank and Bristol Myers to the four branches of the United States military. But the thing that I notice is not only do you have these huge names, you've also got local rotary clubs and elementary schools. Um, having seen you speak in front of a large theater when you spoke for International Association of Affairs and Expositions in 2009, I know how you speak with adults, but I'm curious what you share with elementary school kids. Yeah, that's my favorite audience. My kids, youth, young youth, my favorite audience for sure. It's my favorite. Well, they're still teachable. They're still dreaming. And especially now they're trying to find those dreams. Even middle school and high school kids, I missed a time where they're being told that they can't. And remember, I, I can relate to that. So while they might not be paralyzed physically, they know exactly what paralysis feels like. And I'll just share this. Where I live, we had three suicides last week in the mm -hmm. small community where I live. And I live in a small community. 70,000 people is the closest town. We had three, one high school last week. So mm -hmm. our kids are going through the same kind of mental paralysis that I completely understand. So when I go into an elementary school, like you're asking, what's the message? Well, I like to have a little bit of fun in the beginning. So we'll start off with some fun activities. And then when I start telling them that, you know, I'm not sitting in a wheelchair because I'm stupid. People, people that made bad choices are not stupid people. They just made bad choices, but I'm sitting in a wheelchair because you know, I made a bad choice. We talk about choices and how they respect their teachers, how they respect their blue friends, their green friends, their gay friends, their non-gay friends. Everything that we as adults are fighting over on TV, I'm trying to teach them the opposite. You know, that's exactly, so I'll talk about acceptance and accepting people for who they are and to be kind and to be a friend of people. What happens when you do that? Versus saying, you know what, that person's not a very good soccer player. I don't think I'll pick them to play soccer. And then I'll show them what happened to a kid who did invite somebody that was of a different religion, a different color skin to play soccer. And, and we show that. And, and I want them to go out on recess that day. And I want them to do that with their masks on and see how that all pans out and, and watch what happens when they, when they start to change their behavior towards their teachers and to their parents and just go home and pull out the vacuum and start vacuuming the floor and make their bed and clean up the room and don't even tell mom and dad. You'll inspire mom and dad to be closer and to be better parents. It's not the other way around. And they should go home and say, dad, thank you. I and don't even bring up my name. Just dad, thanks for working so hard so we can have food on the table, dad. It'll make dad go to work more inspired, more, more with more passion. You know? And so we yeah. talk about that and, and then I'll bring a couple of them up and we'll do a couple of exercises. And I love those kids. And I never liked them to be sitting in chairs in the cafeteria or in an in a auditorium. I'd like them to be sitting where they can see me and I'll speak in front of them and I'll have an aisle down the middle. It's where I can wheel my chair so they can see the hands up close. Right. And I'll have a couple of them stand up and feel my hands and explain to their peers what my hands feel like. They feel like rubber and they're very, very bony in structure. And then I'll show them how I use them to my advantage, despite not being able to feel them. 
So yeah, that, that's what I do with, with, with youth. But the principles are the same as I teach as adults. You know, I, these, these kids are just growing up in a world where everything is at their fingertips with social media. And when you have a world like that, then you become like the things you watch the most and the things that you put in your head the most. And so they start watching negative tweets and negative friends and racist friends. And, you know, this all becomes part of their life that they're going to be caught up in fights and get themselves caught up in perhaps even drugs and, and racist comments and, and then making comments and tweets back as they get older and get their own phones that don't have any benefit other than it makes them look stupid. Yeah. Makes them look stupid. Yeah. When they, you know, when they make negative comments back and I've never, I've tried it. I've never got anywhere from it. Never. No one's ever saying, Hey, congratulations, Chad, on that negative tweet you just made back. That was, that was a great comment. I mean, there might be a few, but nothing to create a moment, you know, movement by. So. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you touched on a lot right there in, in what you were saying. And one of the things I wanted to, to bring up, um, you know, it's been clear you've been able to make adjustments during this pandemic and continue doing work, whether it's through virtual or figuring out what, you know, mitigation strategies are and traveling to where you need to travel. But there's millions of people out there, many of whom are in our own fare industry, who they've not been able to make these adjustments. You know, our industry is still predominantly shut down and we're starting to see not only within our industry, but I think nationwide, you know, alcohol and substance abuse, suicides becoming a huge issue. And I, I think the CDC refers to it officially as deaths of despair. Um, you know, some folks are finding themselves feeling very hopeless right now. How do you think we can hold off these feelings of despair? The first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is really just a, a simple phrase that has a lot of meaning to me. There's no such thing as false hope only false hopelessness for everything that we don't know today. There's so much more that, that we will know tomorrow and tomorrow will be a brighter day. I didn't say next month or next. It's day by day. It's the power of incrementalism. I'm not sitting here in front of you today in my office with a staff of four people on president's day. Um, because I did any one big grand thing or because I have more money than anybody else, or because I'm stronger or better. I'm sitting here in front of you with cameras and lights in front of me because of the small things that I've chosen to believe and then act upon. That's what hope is. Hope without works is dead. All hope is is having some sort of faith in yourself, belief that you can do something. Again, I'm not trying to be a pastor. And I'm not ordained to do it. Don't hear that message either. I'm not I'm not ordained to be a pastor to preach religion to people. I just think that that's what hope is. Hope is that you will get through this. And once you lose that hope, that darkness becomes more of a, more of a welcoming, you know, right? uh, an, an, easy, an easy way out. Yeah. And I, I always have hope that tomorrow is going to be a better day when I have bad things happen. The pandemic, you know, this crisis that we're all going through, I have hope that I will be able to be more free one day when governments and regulations and restrictions are lifted somewhat to where I can go back and meet with the high school audience in the auditorium of school. I have hope that I can attend an NBA basketball game where there's not just, you know, 1,500 people, but 20,000 people cheering the team on. I have hope, forget about that. I have hope that I can go back to a high school game 
you know, because yep. I'm not able to go watch those girls play tomorrow. They're by themselves, no fans in the seats. They're playing, but no fans in the seats. That's the way our world is today. But I have hope that tomorrow it'll get a little bit better. Another million people will be vaccinated by the end of the by the end of tomorrow night, tomorrow night in our country. And it's the little things that we're doing every day that will slowly. And I think something's going to happen, Robert. I don't. I'm not a futurist or an economist, but I think when things begin to open, I hope. I hope and pray that we don't forget what we lost. We lost a lot of lives. That's yep. good. But we also lost a lot of freedom for those that are still here. And we're going to honor those losses by the way that we live and we never forget. We always say we're never going to forget 9-11. Never forget. Because it People changed. Do. People, People do. People do. And they go back to the crap. You know, and I, again, never. We all forget. And I forgot what my dad taught me. And we forget. But I hope we never forget what isolation and imprisonment felt like. Because we've all felt that way. And especially these youth. That's why they're, it's easier for them to to take their lives because they can't play in their baseball game. Who those kids that killed themselves last week were on the baseball team. Baseball's canceled. Yep. So where I live, so. Well, and it's heartbreaking for me to see, you know, my wife's an assistant principal at an elementary school, but um, one of her students she taught in second grade just graduated last year, but didn't get to walk. She didn't get that moment. The music didn't play. She didn't get to walk across the stage. That's like a, that's a checkpoint in growing up in the, in the, the journey. What's that? It's a bucket list item. Yeah. Walk from the journey the from being a kid to becoming adult, there's that moment that you want to hear pomp and circumstance play. She didn't get it. Um, you know, I think about all the high school athletes that here in New Mexico, that high school sports are still closed. How many of them are losing scholarship opportunities to college because they're not getting to play their junior and senior year and they're, they're not getting to, all of these things. And they can, you know, they can sit, my heart breaks for them. But I think like you made it clear earlier in the, in the, podcast they can sit there and feel choose to feel sorry for themselves and or they can figure out what's next and continue moving forward and make the conscious choice to continue living the best life they can live yeah i agree i totally agree and it's and it's and again it's not one big grand event it's important robert that our listeners and everybody that hears this podcast remembers that it's what you're doing not even today what are you doing right now what changes are you making what changes to your calendar are you making and stay busy calendarize your day out like if you're not able to go out and, and go to school still identify what you're going to do between eight and nine maybe you're going to text somebody between nine and ten maybe you're going to make a phone call between 10 and 11 maybe you're going to read a good book between 10 and noon then between noon and two you're going to have some free time to yourself maybe you're going to watch a movie maybe and then after that maybe you're going to go make some dinner or help your mom out and, and calendarize prioritize yeah do that the day in advance and have a calendar I think the calendarization and, and prioritization are great things that our youth and our young adults can do. Otherwise, they find themselves wondering, well, can't go over to John and Jack's house today because you know, I just can't get together friends and right. can't go to the movie theater, can't go to the mall and hang out, which is what a lot of young kids do. So find some things to do productive that when it does open up, I hope we become more grateful and accepting people because right now, Look, it's just escalating because oh, we are isolated. Yep. And so now everything becomes much bigger that's negative. You know, oh, yeah. the I, racism, yeah. the negative comments, everything just because everybody's already mad already. Everybody's already right. upset. Everybody's losing jobs. People don't have work. You know, the fairs are shut down. Can't go see yep. the animals at the fairs. Can't go see all the booze at the fairs. Can't get the free ice cream at the fairs. Can't. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm just saying, you know, you understand this. And so because of that, we're more angry and more 
more susceptible to being angry more quicker, you know, more, yeah. more quickly. I, I, I think you may have just answered the next question because, you know, I was just going to say in the last year, we've it's been a very contentious election in the United States. And it feels like news media is doing a fantastic job of pitting us against each other, whether, you know, with identity politics and escalating it and, and feeding yeah. the beast. Um, and it seems to be eroding any any sense of, of common ground or or sense of of duty and and um, connectedness to each other. Do you think that constantly being fed negativity from whether social media or, or the cable news or whatever that it's compounding all the stress of an already difficult situation with COVID? Simple answer: consistency compounds always. So yep. if I'm consistently watching the news, or what? I mean, you got a president right now that's saying we should all unify, which all presidents say. We all need to come together. No matter if you liked me or not, we need to come together because that's the only way to beat this. Hard to do that when you've got everybody else saying this president's going to be impeached and this president, whether you like him or not, I'm just saying it's hard for us to focus on uniting because then it stirs up those feelings again. Right. And right. And so if we're going to unite and accept what's happened, even if we don't like who's in there and we didn't vote for the guy, I, I'm, I'm just saying we if we're going to be a unified and a grateful people, we need to understand that there are some changes that are going to happen that we're not all going to like. And I didn't like this change, but I can't do anything about it. And so what can I change in my life for the better to adapt and, you know, and relate to what the new administration is doing right now, whether yeah. I'm on that side or not. So right now, the president that's in our country is all about uh, global warming right, which has not been a big issue on the slate the last few years. When I get, I'm not stating what side, I'm just saying there's global warming now that's at stake. There is a pipeline that's been shut down. There's been coal mines that have been shut down in the last week. Now, whether or not I like this or not, I understand the concept that if I'm going to be part of a movement and unify people, I need to, I need to be accepting and try and find where I can contribute the best and determine that without, and again, if I, it's not saying that we can't have a voice, right? And stand up, right. but, but, but the people that really have the voices, I, again, as a, as, it's a very sensitive topic and I don't know that I have the exact answer, but let's just take racism. That's not escalated by people necessarily being racist. It's escalated by all the negativity and the comments that people are making on social media sure. that it escalates that. That's the truth. It's not because we've got somebody or a leader that's saying that. And so then it escalates that. And, and I just think that there's, it's anger has caused a lot of what's happening in our country, which is supposed to be the flagship country and the most free country in the entire world. Yeah. And we're seeing it fall apart. Yeah. It's really difficult for me to see people that are, are so angry. Um, you know, Twitter, I look at it's a, Twitter's a dirty place. It is a dirty place. Awful. All you know, social media really is. And I'm it, not, and I use social media a lot. I use it a yeah. lot. I mean, yeah. it, it could be, it can be used for the exact opposite of what you're using it for. Yeah. It can be used for complete negativity. Go ahead, Robert. Sorry yeah. about that. I'm, it's no, it's I, on the topic of social, you know, I follow you on, on Instagram and you post really great heartfelt content and that I enjoy. Um, and I've often said it for all the times I hear, you know, media, pundits say, oh, social media is bad for you. I've often said that social media didn't change us. It exposed us. 
if you were kind and empathetic and caring before social media, you now have a tool to amplify your kindness and, and that behavior. If you were a jerk before, you now have a tool to amplify you being a jerk. That's very fair. Yeah. So how do you approach social media and weed out the negativity when you're using it? Um, I don't like to respond back to any negative cr criticism that I receive based on, uh, for example, I, um, I posted uh, something about us. We're setting up a youth, a youth conference for the summertime. And somebody said it was a place to gather a bunch of horny teens together that have not been able to gather that. So that, that was a response. And I didn't respond. I didn't delete it. I didn't respond. It got response back itself from everybody else that's fighting that back and saying, are you, you know, so I didn't have to respond back. Other people responded for me, but I'm trying to use it to, as a platform for good. And if the CDC guidelines and the, and the, uh, the department of health where we live deem it fit, which they've deemed it fit for us to use our, our lodge and our facility, even during the whole pandemic, we're all outside a lot. We do a lot of outside activities, even in the winter time. Um, it hasn't really shut us down. I think what's shut down for me is just the travel, you know, as far as flying overseas or a lot sure. of countries are shut down. Right. And so I, um, I, 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 I do that. I do, I do that completely, completely differently than probably most. You've got a video on your website. Uh, where you talk about taking massive change like paralysis or in the case of our listeners, you know, dealing with the pandemic or whatever it is they're going through in their individual lives and using those moments to create opportunity. So, Chad, what do we need to do to take an awful situation like this pandemic and create real opportunity from it? I think the first thing you got to do is just you, you can only start with what you have. Um, and I think a lot of times we try and go find something or find a way to, to serve and give us something that we don't have at the beginning. So for me, it was hard for me to go out and teach my kids how to play soccer when I didn't have legs, but I could go out there and be the goalie. And they just moved the cones closer to my wheelchair and they started kicking the ball and they said, dad, look, no one's scoring on you. You're going to get some pelts, dad, but mom said it doesn't hurt anyway, dad. So you should be fine, dad. You, you can't <laughs> feel it. And that was a thing is they weren't looking to see how many goals they could score against their old man. They just want to be involved. So the first thing, the first step is to get involved in whatever capacity you can. If that's positive comments, if that's sharing something positive on social media, if that's just simply saying thanks to mom and dad or being more helpful around the house, doing the best you can to be an inspiration to them, be a leader in your home. That's a place to start because you have that capacity. I call it being an influencer. The second thing is the power of focus. Focus on what you do have and not on what you've lost. When I focus on everything that I've lost in my life, I'm miserable, unhappy, unproductive, and unsuccessful. So focus on what you do have, not on your losses. And the third thing, when you have lost something, and there's a lot of people that have lost a lot right now, whether it be a job, maybe somebody you know has died to COVID, maybe you've gone through a divorce, whatever it is for you, you honor that loss by the way you live your life. So if you're going to live that life angry and bitter because of the divorce or because someone hurt your child or because somebody made a racist comment against you, you will, you'll regret that. You will, or you're not going to be happy and you're going to live in a miserable state. Or you can do that by not saying anything mean back. I have never, I'll just, leave, I'll say it this way. I've never beat negativity with negative comments back. 
I've yep. only beat it with kindness. Now, here's the deal, Robert. Doesn't mean I win the comment. I don't win the argument, but I won't be seen as the jerk. Now, think about that in our political realm, right? You can't beat negativity with negativity. But when people have tried to do that, even in our leadership in a country, yep. they don't always win. More often than not, they lose the, they lose the argument, and they are seen as the immature adult. Yep. Right? You Absolutely. Can only, you can only beat. It's true. Whether No matter what side you're on, you can only beat positivity with kindness back. And that's hard for me to even do because I don't agree with a lot of stuff that happens in our leadership. And so for me to keep my mouth shut or not want, want to make a comment um, is, you know, that's a negative comment. But I think it goes back to what mom taught me when I was just a kid over and over again. When I was playing in the playground, Chad, if you can't say something nice, say it at all. And that same thing applies today. It doesn't mean that we can't take a stance. It doesn't mean that we can't create a movement like Martin Luther King, like Rosa Parks, but they didn't fight people. They didn't right. call them, they didn't call them names. They just stood up for what they thought was right and had courage and used their kindness to back that courage. That's yep. different than standing up for what you think is right and taking guns to a Capitol. Totally different. Yep. Yes. Two different, I'm just saying two different things. Yep. So fighting with kindness and courage is different than fighting with guns and calling people Black names, white names, blue yep. cop names. That's a whole different ballgame. Yep. That only serves to break people down. Absolutely. And, and, and it doesn't, you know, one of my, um, honestly, one of my best friends is on the complete opposite side of the political spectrum for me. And most people would think, um, you know, for me being a little more conservative, they would think, well, why, why would you associate with someone like that? Because I learn. One, I've known him since high school. You know, he lives in New York. He's a black guy. He's got a whole different perspective. And I look at him as one, we've got, you know, 25 years of friendship. Why am I going to chuck that? Because he thinks something different than I do. And two, what can I learn from him? The things that I've learned from him about black culture and what, what black people are feeling. And then I see stuff on the news that's stirring things up. And I'm like, I know the real story behind that because I've, I've learned it from him. And it's not usually what, how the media is portraying it. You know, this the is media, what you just said. Did you hear what you just said? You said that you're not going to let 25 years of friendship be sworn away or swarmed away because of a because of a difference in belief as it pertains to um, left or right or political belief. That's what you just said. Yep. You're not going to However, if you look at social media today, you see it everywhere where somebody says, I'm going to delete you as a friend because of what you just posted because you like this guy and I don't. Oh, yeah. You see it every day. Oh yeah, during the election. If you, if you voted for Trump, unfriend me. If that's, you vote for Biden, right. unfriend me. You see it everywhere, and it's all yes. that you see. It's poison. I don't. What? That is just. That is such trash and so hazardous. No matter again what's that, it destroys us and it destroys our inner. It, I think it destroys our heart. Yep. Our character. It destroys the very being that that you know that keeps our heart beating. It just it eats us up. More than cancer. It's worse than cancer. Yeah. I, I, cancer, but this is a form of cancer in and of itself. It is. It really is. And I and look it's at things. spreading fast. I look, at, I look at the big picture of things and I think, you know, it's really easy to control a population when they're, they hate each other, when they're going after each other. The worst possible thing that could happen to our government is that the United States actually unites. Because if we all come together, there can be 535 people out of a job. For sure. Absolutely. Guaranteed.
and and that's you know so it's it's it benefits the media to keep us divided but it just doesn't make sense to me it, it scared the hell out of me when i started hearing during early in the pandemic if you're if your neighbors aren't wearing masks call this number and report them and i'm like yeah. this we're <laughs> we're literally teaching like this is all 1984 stuff we're training other your fellow humans our neighbors our friends to, to turn on each other and distrust each other and that to me it was like that to me is more poisonous than the, the virus itself that's more deadly sure. than the pandemic itself more detrimental absolutely it, it rips us apart yeah well i know we're we're getting to be close to out of time here but i wanted to ask how are shondell and your your kids holding up during this whole pandemic no, I think that's a great way to end on a positive. Um, our boys are older because they were, remember the three and the one-year-old, I ended up getting to see him walk and now they're doing some amazing things with their lives and they're on the college stage and phase of their lives. We, um, we had changed the way that we have children. And so Shondell said that we could adopt and that's how we could grow our family. So we adopted a little girl from Guatemala who's a junior in high school. And we adopted a little boy just a few years back from Ethiopia. As dark as God made his children, this little boy is. Very, very yeah. dark. Beautiful little boy. And his dreams and aspirations um, are that of being a doctor because he uh, he's had to have some surgical procedures that have helped him to be able to smile that he never thought he never thought he'd be able to do that. And so now he wants to go give that to other people. And I think that's incredible. I'm going to back that kid up. And so I just... I am, uh, and Shondell's doing really well. She's always out there trying to find a place to serve. She's really my inspiration. She's never had a, held a grudge. I can't say that, but she can. Never had a squawk or a grudge, even though she might've had people that have disliked her or what, whatnot. And I can't imagine that being the case, but but everybody's got a critic. And uh, but she's never, she's much more forgiving than I am. And, I, uh, and I'm inspired by that. She's doing great things. I think right now, today's President's Day, She's out there with that little dark boy and they're setting out flags in people's yard for President's Day. That's what they're doing right now in a foot of snow. So I think that's, I think that's cool. That's fantastic. You, you clearly have um, got some fantastic people around you. You got a fantastic family. And I, I just find you from the second I, I met you back in 2009, I've always found you just to be an incredible human being. You know, there's great people out there and then there's people that just, for whatever reason, something about them blows you away. And, and you're that one of those people for me. One of the things I find so amazing about you is how you took a catastrophic moment that fundamentally altered your entire life, but you did not let it define who you were going to be. Mm. You didn't let it define you. you and I you hope took, that our listeners just heard what you just said because they're all going through the same catastrophic uh, just, and, and let me think this through because I want to be careful how I say this. And sometimes, sometimes thinking things through and letting the words come to your mind are better than just letting them blurb out. But I think everybody's going through catastrophes and pandemics and a crisis. And mine is no worse than anybody else's. And the principles are the exact same. I think at the end of our days, we're all going to lead this life the same, empty pockets. I mean, I often think of, Kobe Bryant, who had a lot of critics and had everything at his fingertips. How much of that money did he take with him? Yep. None. And despite some of the mistakes that he might have made in his life, 
man, you could, you could see the love he had for his daughter. If nothing else, that alone is enough. If nothing else, just seeing his arm and how proud he was of his daughters yep. is, is, is enough to say, hey, he's trying to be a better person. I'm no different than Kobe Bryant. I'm just using him as an example. I, yep. We all make some serious mistakes and some serious errors. And I'm no different than him. Yep. You no, know, it's just, I, I just, and I, I, I mean that. I, I, I need to try and better myself every day. And so I, you know, we'll all leave this life with empty pockets and God's not going to say, so what church did you go to? Yeah. I mean, I'm from Salt Lake and we're all called by the same name and a lot of us go to the same church. What makes me better than anybody else? Not a thing. Yeah. I've been all over this world just because somebody might call him Allah and I call him God and I believe in Christ and they believe in Buddha in Thailand. God's not going to say, were you Buddhist? He's not. There's a reason that we're all in these different areas and have different beliefs. There's a re- and I don't understand that reason completely. And I don't have to. Right. I don't, and I don't have to understand it. I think a lot of it is acceptance. And then it's not just poop. Everything's okay. But I am going to be asked, so with some of the challenges that you face, what would you do with that? And I'm going to have to say, I am, you know what? I was a little, I was a little upset. You know, I, I did, I did curse your name and I got mad. I'm really sorry that I called you those names. I'm, I'm really sorry. That yeah. was uncalled for. Um, but then, you know, over time, I, I think I got a little better. Not sure what you got recorded in your journal, but I think in my heart, I feel like I got better. Yeah. Anyway, well, and I think, I think moving forward, I mean, you can look at Kobe Bryant's life and you can, you can focus on the negative. You know, you can look at any of us. There's plenty of negative. We've all screwed up. We've all said stupid things, done stupid things. Um, I, I feel like moving forward, if we all look at that and acknowledge it and go, yep, yeah, that guy screwed up, but what's he doing positive? Like you talked about Kobe, no doubt. He loved those kids. He loved Vanessa. He, he was trying to be the very best father he could. Let's focus on positive. Let's find focus something positive. positive. You know, yeah. I, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Joe Biden as president. I, I didn't vote for the man, but he's the president now. We got him for four years. We need him as a country to stay healthy. And uh, I hope, you know, we can find that there is common ground. Like you said earlier in the show. We it's, can't it's, change that. Robert, I have the same belief that you do. I can't change that. Yep. So what can I do to support, even though I might not believe in some of the initiatives and, and I'm a fossil fuels guy and I'm, a, you know, I'm all about oil and, and yep. pipeline. I'm all about that. That's my, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I'm right. Yep. It's, just, it's just my belief. System. It doesn't mean that you're right. It's just our belief systems. Right. Like you were saying about your friend. It doesn't mean that he's right or that you're right. But for those of us who choose to not change and be more accepting and say, what can I do to contribute to a good cause and to un- unify people? world's going to be a much more dark place and we're all going to be hurting a lot more. Again, yeah. it doesn't mean we need to be under a dictatorship or anything like that. And we're not, we have a lot of freedom. No. Every we are time so I far talk, from a dictatorship. Oh my gosh. And people say that we're under a dictatorship. Just travel a little bit. I'll just say this. Every time my plane crosses the Pacific and enters California or the Atlantic and enters Atlanta or New York, I'm always so grateful to be back home. Yep. I love Malaysia. I love Australia. I love Japan. I love China. I love all those places. But as soon as my plane touches ground in Atlanta, Georgia, or Miami, or New York, or LA, or San Francisco on the border, yeah, I'm so great. No matter who's in the presidency, I'm it's, so grateful to be back home. Yep. So much yeah. freedom here. And we still have a chance to have it back. We, we, have, a, we have a good chance, but we're going to yep. have to change some things. 
This podcast, by the way, should blow up. I hope so. I, you know, I blow up (laughs) this, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to do it. You know, you talk about, you know, responding to the crisis. I, I honestly, for this, I got to October of last year and I hadn't hardly worked, you know, and it was getting to the point where I'm sitting here going, I got to do something. I, I need to contribute, even if I'm not out there performing and entertaining at a fair. And I decided I'm just going to start helping people tell their stories and the emails we are getting weekly now um, and comments on the website. And I've got people emailing going, you know, I've listened to a bunch of the episodes and I think I've got a story to tell too. And I want to help people tell those stories. And it's uh, the feedback's been terrific. I, I hope it does. Um, not because there's any financial, you know, issue to it. I, we're not making any money. There's no sponsors on this. This is yeah. me contributing my time to the cause. Uh, if I can help people get their voices heard, let's do it. Givers gain, Robert. Remember that. Yep. Givers always gain. Yep. Well, Chad, we're about out of time. We're right on an hour here. Before we go, everyone who comes on my show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions. You give me your best answer for each. You ready? Yeah. Question one, iPhone or Android? iPhone. Question two, what's your favorite comfort food? Thai. When you travel, which you do a lot of, what's one thing you absolutely must have with you? My heater, space heater. Okay. And speaking of travel, of all the places in the world that you visited, what is your favorite? Nashville in the U.S., Dubai outside. Excellent. Uh, if I open your music player on your phone right now, which artist would I find? Luke Bryan. Luke Bryan. And last question, what's the last, bro- last book you read? Jeez, I'm reading like six. Uh, Out of the Ashes by Charlie Moorcraft. Out of the Ashes. Awesome. Chad, I'm so glad you could be on the show today. If folks want to reach out and get in contact with you, how can they do that? Just uh, Google Chad Hymas, C-H-A-D-H-Y-M-A-S. Perfect. Chad Hymas, influencer, motivational speaker, speaker, absolutely incredible human being. I'm really honored that you could come on the podcast today and share such an amazing story. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Robert. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.